0: Good morning, church. If you got a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Romans chapter 8 this morning. We've got a full morning, including uh, some time in His Word, some time to worship Him as only He is due in response, uh, but also a baptism. And so I want to jump right into our text this morning. Romans chapter 8. If you don't have your own Bible, there should be one on your chair or under your chair near you. Get this, Romans 8, page 888. How about that? Actually, 887 for verse 1, but the majority of verse 8, page 888. Don't forget that. I won't. Here we go, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. For those of you memorizing, uh, you can say along with me. Uh, As I preach, as uh, this congregation listens, God, we aim to hear from You and You alone. As Graham prayed, that Your Spirit would help me, Your Spirit would help them listen. That I too would be able to listen afreshly as Your Word is read and remembered and expounded. God, I pray that You would help those especially who sit in wrongful condemnation for their sin and who lack assurance of salvation. God, You desire neither of those things for Your children and have removed them from us and given us promises and seals and helps to be able to escape condemnation and to be able to be assured of our salvation. And so God, I pray that your Spirit would remove wrongful shame and condemnation of the devil and our own flesh and would remind us of the truth that we have in Christ. And yet, if there is some who are here this morning who have yet To repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation alone, and so are not in Christ, that this morning they would experience what it means to be set free, unbound from sin and death, to experience what no condemnation feels like, and to gain that assurance that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So help us. In this task that is impossible with man, but possible with God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I, I prayed, I, I wonder if you have found yourself uh, in a moment like Paul found himself back in Romans chapter 7. It's been a month uh, plus since we have been in the book of Romans so just a, a bit of reminder, just uh, a little catch-up for those of you who weren't with us as we traveled through Romans 1 uh, through chapter 7. But in Romans chapter 5, Paul clearly lays out that we have ob- obtained access by faith into grace. Therefore, we ought not to continue in sin... Romans chapter 6. Nor are we to blame the law for our sin. Romans chapter 7. But, nevertheless, if if we've experienced the grace of God for the forgiveness of our sins, um, we know how wretched we are. Paul understood this, he even expressed this at the end of chapter 7. He expressed what what he was feeling in chapter 7, verse 24. Wretched man that I am. And he experienced that and expressed that because though he had been saved by grace through faith, though he had been unbound from the law of sin and death, he still fell into sin. He still fell short of the glory of God. He still did the things he didn't want to do and when that happened, he he expressed, Oh wretched man that I am, and yet followed that up with the truth. You see, it's one thing to say, wretched man that I am, and to stay there, and, and to feel wrongful condemnation. Though we've believed in Christ, we judge ourselves, we shame ourselves. We condemn ourselves. But Paul instantly goes to the, the next phrase in chapter seven, twenty four. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul understood the frustration of still sinning even though he'd been forgiven by Christ of his sin. And yet he didn't stay there. He applied the gospel to his life. And so I wonder if you've felt like Paul felt. Wretched man, wretched woman that you are, that I am. That though we know the gospel, though we've been a Christian for many years, many decades even, even though we should know better, we've still fallen into sin and fall short. And, And in that moment, we feel less than, we feel condemned, we feel shame. Not to mention living in the world that we're living in with social media, uh, helping to condemn you, helping to shame you for anything that you've done or not done, anything you've believed or not believed, anything you've said or not said. I mean, you You name it, you can be condemned for it or shamed for it online, good, bad, or ugly. It doesn't matter. This world doesn't help us in these things. And so I wonder if you've felt that condemnation. Or I wonder if you have felt that lack of assurance of your salvation, Christian. Having known the truth and yet continually falling into sin. Having repented of your sins and believed in Christ and yet still tripping up on those things. And yet believing a law-based gospel rather than a grace-based gospel thinking you've got to do it or else you're not going to get in. Forgetting the fact that Christ is the only way in. And He's already made the way in. But you're living in a lack of assurance and doubt of your salvation because you did that again or you want to do it again and see I think there's so many Christians who are living in false realities of who they really are they're not living in the reality of what it means to be in Christ in the spirit they're living in condemnation they're living without that assurance In this passage, Paul is giving to us to make sure that we're living in the right reality. The reality of what it means to be in the Spirit. In fact, up to this, or in all of Romans, um, Paul uses the word Spirit some 30 times. But in Romans chapter 8, he talks about the Spirit 20 times. 20 times in one chapter out of the 30 in the entire book of 16 chapters. I think it's safe to say that His focus here in Romans chapter 8 is the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. And so this is our aim. This is our reality for those who are in Christ. And yet, if you have yet to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, if you've yet to invite Christ into your life to take up residence in your life, to commit yourself to follow Him. These are realities that are available to you through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. But apart from Christ, apart from repentance of sin and faith in Jesus, they're not your reality. And you could spend a lifetime searching for them in other places and in other things and you'll never find them. And so know this is the reality for those who are in Christ. Uh, If you're taking notes this morning in in the title of the sermon with realities in the Spirit, I want us to note several things that that are available to us. And the first one is this. That there's no condemnation in the Spirit. There's no condemnation in the Spirit. That's what verse 1 says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now you say, Well, Brian, why didn't you say there's no condemnation in Christ? Well, I could have said that, but then all of my points wouldn't have ended with in the Spirit, and they needed to end with in the Spirit. But what you're gonna see is, is that those who are this is true for those who are in Christ because they've been given the Spirit. And there's no condemnation for those who have the Spirit of God. For those who are in Christ. No condemnation. There is therefore... What's the next word? Now. You might think that that verse might say there will therefore be when you get to heaven and get to go and spend eternity with God There will therefore then be no condemnation. But that's not what Paul says. He says right now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, not later, though it's true of us later, but right here, right now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And notice what the next word says. None. No. Zilch. Nada. Zero. Not a little bit. Not some. But none. Guess what the Greek word for no means? No. None. Oodice. No dice. You, you, there is zero condemnation for those who are. In the Spirit, for those who are in Christ. So, any condemnation you feel in the midst of your Christian life when you fall short, it's not from the Lord. He's already condemned your sin, He's already paid for your sin. It's been dealt with. Jesus said when He dealt with it, when He took the condemnation, it is finished. So any condemnation you feel is not from the Lord. It might be from Satan who's going to condemn you falsely. It might be from the world who's going to condemn you wrongly. And it might even be from yourself in the flesh who condemns you. Yourself. But it's not from the Lord so you may be living in a false reality of who you really are if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian living in condemnation, you're living in a false reality. And it may be because you're not living in accordance with the Spirit whom you've been given. You've been living in the strength of your flesh. You've been living in light of what the world says about you or what Satan says about you rather than what the Lord has said about you. And that's not where we're to be living. We're to be living as those who have no condemnation because this is what the Lord has said about us and done for us. But this is only true of those who are in Christ. You probably heard me emphasize this as I was reading Romans 8, 1-11. But this idea of being in Christ is, or in the Spirit or Christ in you, or the Spirit in you is repeated at least ten times here. It's an important thing for us to be able to understand because we want to experience no condemnation, but it's very clear that that's only available to those who are in Christ. Or another way to say that would be for those who Christ is in. And, and who is Christ in Who is in Christ? It's only those who have experienced the salvation that comes from Jesus alone. There is therefore now no condemnation. That's the exact opposite of justification. Those who have been justified by God experience no condemnation from God because it's already been taken. And this is what Paul started off with in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he continues on in chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass, that is Adam's, in the beginning led to condemnation for all men. Notice, so one act of righteousness, that is Jesus, leads to justification and life for all men. Specifically, those who are in Christ. So you're in Christ if you've been justified by God. Saved by God. Repented of your sins and believed in Christ and Christ Jesus has taken up residence in your life. Like Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you've been born again. You've been, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, you've been made a new creation. You've been given a new heart. If those things have happened, you're in Christ and your present reality is no condemnation from the Lord not only later but right here right now this is the good news and not only does Paul start with this in Romans chapter 8 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus but he ends with this look all the way to the end of at verse 34 after describing who we are he says who is to condemn you Christ Jesus is the One who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who's, who is there to condemn you? Christ isn't going to condemn you. Who's going to judge you? It asked just before that. Who shall bring any charge against you? God's the One who justified you. The present reality for us Christian. Is a life of no condemnation. It's not because you don't sin, that's for sure. Just wait till this afternoon. But it's because your sin has been paid for. Christ has been condemned in your place. And we need to live in this reality. We've repented of our sins, we've believed in Christ, but rather than living in the reality of what it means to be in Christ, and in the Spirit, and Christ in you, and the Spirit in you, though we've repented and believed, we still find ourselves staying over here. Living apart from Christ. Apart from the Spirit. And we need to realize that our our position has changed. Our identity has changed. Uh, Several months ago, we had the privilege of moving to a new house and and when we did our address changed our position changed and so we put in a request with the usps of of forwarding address and so for all of those things those places and people that we didn't tell our address changed they sent it to the old address but the usps said their position has changed They put a big old stamp on it across to remind that postman, this doesn't go there anymore. They have moved. Their address has changed. We're still getting those things in the mail. And that's the truth for us as Christians. When you feel condemnation, you need to think of that as a wrongly addressed piece of mail to you that you're no longer there. You're over here. So nice try, but put a big stamp on it a big label on it, and say, hey, I'm now over here. I'm in Christ. And don't bring that stuff over here. It doesn't belong over here. It's already been dealt with at the cross. You can point to the cross. You can remind yourself of the cross. You can rehearse the cross. You can read about the cross and help yourself remember that that's not your reality. It's not your present reality anymore. But not only that, not only is there no condemnation, in the Spirit, but the the second present reality for us is that we are set free in the Spirit. Verse 2 says, "...for the law of the Spirit of life..." That is, the Holy Spirit that is identified there. That being a capital S Spirit. "...for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus." Set us free from what? Set us free from the law of sin and death. You see, our former reality is that we were bound. Bound to the law. To be judged by the law when we were to stand before God. And if there was not perfection, we would be found guilty and condemned for it, rightly. But Jesus Christ... Came and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And he died the death that we deserve. He took our condemnation. And so, for those who are in Christ, through the Spirit, we've been set free from that former reality. Chapter 7 of Romans talked about what it meant to be bound to the law as a slave would be to a master or as husband and wife are bound together until death. But when death happens, the spouse who's still alive is no longer bound any longer. And that's what's happened in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We were bound to the law. But when we died to ourselves through repentance and faith in Jesus We were made alive in Christ Jesus to be bound to another. And and so we're set free. We're set free from this binding to the law. This judgment in accordance with the law. This condemnation that comes with the law. We've been set free by the law of the Spirit of life. The Holy Spirit's work in us. This is what He does. Verse 3 tells, tells us how it happened. For God has done what the law, which was weakened by the flesh, could not do. Imagine what we're essentially oftentimes trying to do is to try to get the law um, to make us feel better about ourselves. We're trying to get the law to save us. We're trying to get the law to approve of us. But the law was never meant to save us. The law was never meant to approve of us. The law couldn't save us. And so God did what the law couldn't do and was actually never meant to do. We talked about what the law was meant to do in Romans chapter 7. It was to reveal sin and to show us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And every time we look at the law, that. That reality is made even clearer. But we're hoping that the law, every time we fall back into that former reality, we're expecting the law to do something for us that it was never meant to, nor can it do. That's why God did something for us that the law couldn't do for. And what did He do? He sent His own Son. Paul Paul says... Own Son emphatically. Not only there, but also the same way in in verse 32. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That is, what we just celebrated this past Christmas. The incarnation. God sent His one and only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That is, He was really human. Wearing flesh, but He was sinless. He wasn't sinful like those who inherited the sinful nature of their parents, but He was born of a virgin. And so He was in the likeness of sinful flesh, but also for sin. That, that phrase in the Greek is the same phrase that's used to translate the Old Testament into Greek when it speaks about a sin offering. and So what Paul is trying to bring into our minds right here is that he sent Jesus looking like you except without your sin, but to become an offering for sin. And that's just what Jesus did. He came to be an offering for our sin to set us free did the law does the law have a son to offer does it have anything to offer can it do anything like what god did by sending his his own son it can't and yet we're expecting it to so often and but jesus came for sin and in doing so he condemned sin in the flesh That's why there's no condemnation because Jesus condemned our sin. He took the condemnation for our sin and relieved sin of all of its power. Sin has no power over you any longer, Christian. It has no judgment for you. You're not storing up judgment because of your sin in the end. Christ has taken it for you. God sent His one and only Son to do this for you. And He did it for this reason. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That is that Jesus came and lived that perfect, sinless, righteous life. So the righteous requirement that God requires of us might be fulfilled, but it says in us. What does that mean? It means that for those who have repented and believed in Christ and who are in Christ and whom Christ is in, the righteous requirement of the law that God demands is in us because Christ is in us. It's not because you're going to live a righteous life after you put your faith in Jesus. The righteous requirement of of the law is in you because Christ is in you. So how in the world could God judge His very own Son who's already lived a perfect sinless life and died on the cross already again when you stand before Him? If the Spirit of Christ is in you, if Christ Himself is in you, There's no condemnation. You've been set free from that. This is what God has done for us in sending Christ for us. We That is, in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And there Paul introduces our third idea. Our third reality of what it means to be in Christ to be in the Spirit. And that third reality is life and peace in the Spirit. He contrasts in describing those who are in the Spirit or in Christ with those who are in the flesh at the end of verse 4. And then in 5-8, through eight, he um, explains this. He, he really contrasts these two positions. And we find that there's life and peace for those who are in the Spirit. Look in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But, contrasting that, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? If you live according to the flesh, it's because your mind has been set on the flesh. And if you're living in accordance with the Spirit, it's because you've set your mind on the things of the Spirit. For those of us who are in Christ, when we allow ourselves to dwell on the things of the flesh, the things of this world, it's very likely that we'll find ourselves living in accordance with the ways of the world and the things of the world, the beliefs of the world, the hopes of the world, and those types of things. This is why the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in life, it is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So Paul's contrasting here the flesh of what it means to live in accordance with the flesh by, because we've set our mind on the flesh with those who are living in accordance with the Spirit because they've set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And to set the mind on, that that phrase there, is talking about to direct one's mind toward. to, To seek after. To strive for. John Stott in his commentary describes it well this way. He says, when you're when considering what has your mind been set on. He says it's a question of what preoccupies us. Of the ambitions which drive us. And the concerns which engross us. How we spend our time and our energies. Of what we concentrate on and give ourselves up to. All this is determined by who we are whether we are still in the flesh or are now by new birth in the Spirit. And so we need to consider. Are we in the flesh or are we in the Spirit? Are we living in accordance with the flesh or are we living in accordance with the Spirit? What is our mind being set on? If you're a Christian, is is your mind... Regularly still being set on the former way of life, your former beliefs, the world's way? Or is your mind regularly being transformed to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, the things of the Lord, the things of His Word, the things of Christ and His church? Ask yourself, what is your mind being set on regularly? How is your time being spent? How are your energies being spent? What is your love? As John questioned. But he goes on beyond that. He explains it even more. For to set the mind on the flesh. Here's the result of doing that. The result of setting your mind on the flesh is death to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for those who are in the spirit the result the present reality is life and peace that's why Paul said earlier in Romans chapter 5 that we've been justified with God and we get to experience peace with God not just peace later, but peace here and now. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But the reality of living in accordance with the Spirit is death. And both of these are not only future realities, but present realities. If you've set your minds on the things of the flesh and you're living in accordance with the flesh, the ultimate result or the present result of that is death spiritual death we've all experienced that but the eternal result of that is eternal death separated from god forever but through repentance of sin and faith in jesus christ when christ takes up residence in your heart you no longer set your minds on the things of the flesh but we've been set free to set our mind on the things of Christ. And not only have we been set free to do so, we've been empowered in the Spirit to do so. Increasingly more and more and more. And so, more and more and more, we live in accordance with the Spirit. And in the not only later, but here and now as well, we get to experience life, spiritual life, and spiritual peace with God, and eternal life. An eternal peace with God. their are present and future realities that we have available to us. And he goes on in verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Why? For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Now this is a, a reality that none of us wants to admit about ourselves. That we were hostile to God? That we did not please God in anything that we did beforehand? Is that true? Well, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that this is true of all humanity apart from Christ. That, That we were seen as enemies of God. And yet, when God sent His one and only Son, we went from through faith in Him, we went from being enemies of God to friends of God. We went from being strangers of God to being children of God, welcomed into the family of God. And only if we're able to admit this about ourselves will we fully understand the grace of God that's shown to us in God sending His one and only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us to rise from the dead for us. If we don't see ourselves as hostile to God, and, and we see ourselves as pretty good doing the Lord a favor here and, here and now, then all we need is a little pick-me-up. All we need is a little boost to get us into heaven. A, a little turn of the head from the Lord. But when we see that we, we're actually enemies of the Lord, and that it was impossible for us to please Him in our former reality, we realize how much grace has been shown to us in this. It's impossible to please God. Look at verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if you're not a Christian, and you're spending your life hoping that one day you will have tipped the scales or pleased God enough for Him to allow you into heaven, to be able to spend eternity with Him for, for all of your eternal days. Realize that that's impossible. You cannot please Him because we've fallen short of His glory. And His glory needs to be reestablished in us, which is only possible by Christ being in us. The writer of Hebrews understood this. He says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists And that he rewards those who seek him. Is that true of you? Is this present, is this reality present in your life? Life, spiritual life, and peace with God right here, right now. If not, take it from the writer of Hebrews that the only way to please him is to believe in him, to admit your hostile towards him and to admit that you need him to save you to admit that you need him in you so that one day you can be accepted into heaven to be able to be seen as pleasing god in the end but then there's a fourth reality a fourth present reality for those who are in christ And here, Paul gets personal. Up to this point, it's been somewhat generic. Those who are in the flesh versus those who are in the Spirit. Um, These different positions uh, of what it means to be in the flesh versus in the Spirit. But here, you can imagine as the Romans are reading this and Paul's talking generically and kind of these... Um, generic understandings of these things as soon as they read the first word of verse 9 it's almost as like Paul is looking at them in their eye and saying you however and he's just pausing for a moment he's going from generic truth to personal truth Saying to each and every Christian reading this letter 2,000 years ago, and I would say to every Christian listening to his letter being read or preached this morning, that this is true and, and the Lord is going personal. You, however, are not in the flesh, Christian. You're not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. You're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. And what Paul is going to go on to personally encourage these believers with is the reality of the resurrection in the Spirit in the age to come. That's the fourth and last thing Paul's getting across in these 11 verses is the present reality of a really a future resurrection in the Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. In each of those verses, 9, 10, and 11, it speaks of if the Spirit is in you. If the Spirit of God is in you. If the Spirit uh, of Christ is in you. Then if the Spirit of the Father in verse 11 is in you. Uh, a Trinitarian aspect of inness, The presence of the the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit in us is to be an encouragement to us that just as the, uh, the, the Father raised Jesus from the dead, we too one day will be raised from the dead to spend eternity with him in the end. And so when I say that Romans chapter 8 focuses. On the Spirit, it, it focuses on the, the work of the Spirit's security for the believer. It focuses on their freedom here, but about their resurrection there. It, it focuses on the power of the Spirit to uh, enable us to obey here, but to raise us to life there. So if you have doubts about your eternal security, if you have doubts of, about whether or not you are going to spend eternity with God forever in the end, this ought to be encouragement to you. That even though you f- have fallen short of the glory of God and have found yourself in sin according to the law, this is good news for all of those who are in Christ or in the Spirit are promised that they too will be raised to walk in the newness of life. That in verse 10, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead and all our bodies will die because of sin, he goes on to say that the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Because of Christ's righteousness because of the Spirit being in us. And if that Spirit who's in us raised Jesus from the dead, He can raise you from the dead to spend eternity with Him. And so there's an aspect of resurrection that's gone on in our hearts already, but there's another resurrection awaiting us one day when all that is wrong, in our mortal bodies will be made right. When all this sin that we experience, we won't experience anymore. With the sickness and infirmities that we experience here on this earth, we won't experience anymore. There will be a resurrection of our bodies to spend eternity with the Lord. And so this is what's available to those who are in Christ. Christian, this is your reality. It's up to us in the power of the Holy Spirit to remember this, to remind ourselves of this, to live in light of this, to live as if this is our address, as if our position really has changed rather than falling back into our old reality. Falling back into our former state, our former position, our old address. We need to live in this reality. We need to stop living in condemnation. Stop living as if we're bound to that sin, to that temptation. We're not bound any longer, we've been set free. From that, we have the very Spirit who enabled Jesus to live a perfect and sinless life to help us, to enable us to get out no matter what it is. We have these present realities that there's life and peace in the Spirit rather than death awaiting us, and that there's a resurrected body awaiting us for us to spend eternity with God. Think about it. The Son of God had no flesh until He was sent by God in the flesh to take our sin and to condemn sin for us in our place as a sin offering. He lived a perfect sinless life. He physically, in the flesh, died in our place, which is why He's able to be called a sympathetic high priest, one who in every way was tempted and tried, yet perfect. Suffered in every way that we could ever imagine suffering and then more so. And yet was sinless and victorious. And He died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and then rose victoriously in the flesh so that people could see Him and hear Him. Touch Him even. They watched Him eat fish. Jesus proving to them that He wasn't a ghost as they thought he was. He was real and in the flesh and ascended in the flesh. He who was spirit beforehand and did not have flesh in eternity past with God the Father and God the Spirit took on flesh and now for eternity will have flesh with his resurrected body in the end we too will get to experience that same reality and be like Christ in heaven forever. To be able to share a meal of maybe some fish with Him one day. And to be able to look at His flesh with nail-scarred hands and remember what He did for us. Let's live in light of that future reality in the present. Because it's available to us. Because that Christ, through His Spirit, is residing in us. And there's no condemnation. We're not bound any longer. We're set free to experience life and peace and one day a resurrection forever. If you've yet to experience that, I can't encourage you enough this morning to make that reality your present reality. Simply admit that you too, like Paul, like me, like everyone here, has been hostile to God. And yet, through admitting, through repenting, and through believing in Jesus Christ who alone was not hostile to God, and yet died for our sins and rose from the dead, believing in Him, you too can be Made a new creation and to have his spirit living and residing in you so that these realities can be your present reality as well. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would help us this morning as we apply these truths to our lives, that as we go out this week and are tempted to sin, And eventually will fall short in sin. That we would not stay there. That we would not live in false condemnation of the devil or ourselves or the world. But would remember that if Christ is in us, we've been set free. That there is no condemnation. That we can experience life and peace right here, right now, and forevermore because we will one day be resurrected with You. God, I pray for the Christian who's doubting, lacking assurance, struggling in their relationship with You, falling back into sin, doing the things that they don't want to do like Paul was. God, I pray that You would encourage them today to make them realize that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is in them to be able to enable them to walk in obedience. God, I pray for that person who knows in the depths of their heart that these things have not been true of them before today and yet want them to be true of them. They want to have life and peace, having sought it out in so many other things and yet have not experienced it, that they might find it in Christ today who died and rose from the dead for them. I pray that they would experience what it means to live a life that while the world and others and Satan may condemn them, you don't and you won't. God, I pray that they would experience these truths to be true of them this morning. And God, I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have to celebrate this reality in baptism in a moment. God, may this confession and public testimony of this reality in their life be an added measure of application of the truth of your word And so help us to worship you as only you are due. Help us to live in light of these realities as we leave this place. We pray and ask for your help as you've promised to give. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and let's sing a closing song together before we get to worship the Lord through baptism.